Hi, this is Isabel Alexander, the Encore Explorer. And right now I'm coming to you live from Ontario, where I'm camping. Well, let's be honest, I'm glamping. Thanks to my cousin Earl and my brother Mel, who have set me up in this sweet little home away from home, my home office, and I am enjoying fabulous weather here in Ontario, which is a little cooler, before I launch off to much warmer temperatures in Dubai next week. On that theme, I wanted to share with you some content that was recorded in 20, I don't know, something during COVID with my daughter, Amanda, who is a bona fide expat who's lived and worked overseas for more than a decade. I think you'll find the content fascinating, especially if you're considering the expat lifestyle. Welcome to the Lift As You Climb podcast, where it's all about the journey and the joy of discovering who you are now, deciding who you want to become, and embracing your genuine identity, influence, and impact. In each episode, we'll explore how life's experiences have prepared us for what we choose to do next and how to create our encore, write our own script, and star in the next stage of our lives. I'm your host, your encore strategist and transformation catalyst, Isabel Alexander. everyone. My name is Isabel Banerjee, and today I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing a very special guest. She's uh, rather well-known internationally, but today we have her here on Zoom with us. Let me introduce to you my daughter, Amanda Sheldon. Uh, right. So great to finally get to be on the program. And it's so wonderful to see your face even though I really wish we were sitting in the same room or at least in the same country. But as our uh, listeners will find out very soon, we are much closer now than we were a few weeks ago. So I'm Isabel Banerjee, and I am the author of Who Am I Now? Feminine Wisdom, Unmasked and Uncensored. And today... I'm excited to be able to share with you some of my daughter's experiences about who she is today, who she has been, and where she has been. So welcome, Amanda. Everyone out there in TV land, Amanda just moved back from the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, Dubai to now re-domiciled in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So Amanda, you have just finished your uh, two weeks, your 14 days of quarantine upon re-entry to the country. And it is 10 years since you have been a Canadian resident, excuse me, and I'd love to start our conversation and I, I hope that we'll We'll um, agree to stay together and we'll do a series of conversations because there's so much to talk about. As a woman who has 
been a citizen of the world and built a career uh, working uh, far, far away from her mom who missed out of her. So just to, to set the scene, uh, 2010, I had just gotten married. You came down to the United States uh, to marry me off yet again. Yet again. Everybody listening, she said, this is the last time. And from there, you and I left to join uh, 22, I think, other women on a cruise. Or a Ken Fatal's cruise in 2010, and from immediately from debar- uh, de- departure, disembarkation is the term in the cruise industry, you got on a plane and you flew to Kuwait. Correct. So would you please explain why? <laughs> well, you didn't ship me off there, that's for sure. It was voluntary. Um, yes. Yeah, so I would say right around May 2009, I had the opportunity with the company I worked with um, to meet somebody from Kuwait who was going to carry the franchise of the company that I was employed with. So I met them in Toronto, just had a casual chat and said, you know, if you need some help, would love to go and do it having no clue about the Middle East and specifically about Kuwait. Um, Fast forward six months later, I went on a sightseeing trip with myself and some other colleagues uh, and got the position. And so in the span of seven months, went from what I thought was going to be a lifetime of working in Toronto to coming to see you and then boarding a plane to go across to Kuwait. So was this just a temporary contract originally or? It was supposed to be a two-year opportunity. So we were going to, as a group, there were six of us that were chosen as brand ambassadors to go and launch this uh, home furnishing brand overseas, um, work with this company to kind of instill the values and the business practices of of the brand itself. (laughs) But um, getting into Kuwait and meeting the people that I met, I really fell in love with the culture, with the area. Uh, and the two years passed by so quickly that when the term came up to decide, do we you know, fly back or do I stay? I asked to stay, which is when I came, uh, I guess I would say a full-time employee with that company. Um, and it really sort of set the scene for what I accomplished over the 10 years. If it's, Did you surprise yourself when you heard yourself saying, I'd like to stay? Yes, absolutely. Um, I have always joked that if you had asked me, you know, at the beginning of 2009, could I ever see myself a year later living in the Middle East, working in a foreign country where I knew nothing about the culture or the language, I would have said no. Um, The furthest I had ever gone was on a vacation to Scotland and otherwise it was, you know, Mexico was our, our family vacations. How they don't forget those runaway horses in Cartagena. Great. So we did a South America trip. That's a whole other, you know, whole other uh, episode. Um, but at the same time, um, I'm a very ambitious woman and I could see this was going to be the launch pad for my career. Um, and I also am not a risk taker and I like to surprise myself sometimes. So I, I just, went for it without asking too many questions. 
Okay. So I'm going to guess that 99% of the population would have said, oh, hell no. One percenter. You decided to step off into an entire, not even a, a new continent, a new culture, new everything. Yes. When you first arrived, you, do you recall what your first kind of feeling was when you touched down in that airport? Well, um, I, I will preface it by saying Kuwait's a very Americanized place. So, you know, my first um, brand that I saw was a Starbucks at the airport, um, but everything else felt foreign. So, you know, from cultural dress to the way, you know, you ask for a taxi, you know, to all of those things, there is definitely something different than living in North America. Um, so I remember getting settled into my temporary accommodation because the company was putting us up in this, you know, building in the middle of nowhere. Um, and being fine until the next morning when I looked out the window and I was looking at sand. I was looking at people's laundry hanging from their windows um, and the call to prayer. Like that woke me up at four in the morning. So it, it definitely uh, was that moment where Dorothy says she's not in Kansas anymore. I had that, you know, right off the plane. Uh, I can't even imagine it would have been very much like being on another planet especially since i know you as you were always a city girl hey your heart through and through when i used to drag you off to grandparents farm you were like no no and here you were uh initial you were billeted in a kind of in an outlying area of the city right correct uh, however, what I guess made it bearable, um, was I knew from my company at any time that I didn't want to be there, I could go home. So there was that safety net. Okay. There were six of us, as, as I said, brand ambassadors who we were all in it together. So you have that camaraderie of being able to say, Hey, you're going through this sign. Uh, and so am I. So that support system was there. Um, but also I think I wanted to prove something to myself. I, I could do it. And so I, you know, got dressed, they picked me up. I went into the office the first day and from there it just got easier because every expat goes through that same culture shock. And so all of my colleagues in my office were there to help me and give me suggestions and, you know, tell me where to live. So I wasn't living in the middle of the desert. No, it was very helpful. Very good. So did, um, as an expat, did, did you have some initial training or indoctrination so you you could sort of distinguish what was expected culturally of you everything that they sort of preemptively told us yeah. i would say turned out to be false um because my notions of living in kuwait were you know women can't drive and women should be covered and you know don't look at a man don't shake hands all of that was out the window within the first week where, again, interacting with locals, you could see that actually, no, all of those things were outdated. There is a conservative dress that you, you follow. There is subtle nuances in terms of hospitality and who you speak to first. Right. But 
I didn't feel that I was um, going to misstep in any way. I actually probably was more uh, worried because most of the working population there are other expats from other nations. And so it wasn't just Arabic that I was navigating. It was Tagalog, Hindi, Urdu, all these multicultural individuals who work there that also didn't speak English. So I had to learn many languages, not just one. Phenomenal. And so I think, you know, I've been to visit you, lived in Kuwait, that again, uh, when you've been living in Dubai, which is another segment. And so I do understand what you're talking about, about the more uh, expected or westernized environment. But I think the majority of people, at least the people I've encountered for the most part, just you know, they're thinking it's all camels and burkas and dates, you know. Mm. So that is a misconception. Yes. There yes. are camels. There are dates. Yes. There are abayas. I, I never saw a burqa. Um, You know, women are fully covered, but, you know, there's different names for things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what the expat lifestyle is. So if there is a parallel um, community that happens there. So respectful of each other's practices and, and, and lifestyles, but um, more of a supportive live and let live uh, culture, would you say? Yes, I think, um, especially in Kuwait, um, the expats outnumber the local population three to one. So you don't, you don't necessarily feel there's an overpowering sense of the Arab or Muslim culture, but there's a respect for it in everything. So the way it's businesses and companies operate, um, definitely it's not just Kuwaitis who are Arab, but there's Egyptians and there are Indian and Pakistani nationals. So that was the one thing I learned was like, you know, Muslim comes in all forms. It's not just one, one nationality. Okay, so when you left Canada, hmm didn't have any uh, any understanding or knowledge of the nuances of different countries, cultures, religions? No. So uh, you, you was, were immersed. Yes. And I, I actually, in hindsight, wish I had done a little bit more research. Um, but I think I wanted just to get there and experience it and not perhaps allow media to tell me what I should be expecting because as I said, the things I learned actually turned out to be the opposite. So, you know, I, I could shake a man's hand. I, I couldn't speak to, you know, male staff as, as a person in, in power. Uh, and, and there are, there are moments, obviously, again, their cultural biases come out of something true, but, but mm-hmm. definitely the Western media really focus more on like the Kuwait war and how oil ruled everything, where that's not the case. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate uh, that the media attention is focused on the more uh, negative and more clandestine or controversial uh, aspects of a relationship as, as opposed to what did the day-to-day people uh, do and how do they interact? And uh, I mean, I, I 
share with everybody that I mean, as a mother, I was worried, even though I knew you to be an extremely competent individual and you were 30 years old at the time, couldn't help but worry that, oh my gosh, it's so foreign and it's so far. And, uh, you know, what is really this, the treatment of women? Because in Western society, we're only, you know, the filter is, is, is harder than a, right, covering. I, I will share it. So, you know, um, in my first two years, again, I, my social circle was only people I worked with and primarily European expats or North American expats. Um, but it was really after I made that decision to stay on where I opened myself up to meet other people. And so, you know, most of my close friends are Arab there, but not necessarily local where they're from Syria or Lebanon and their families settled in, in the region and, and built a life there. So the kids have only known that. Um, and they gave me really a, a strong perspective on, on family and what that Arab culture is, is family and hospitality. So, you know, I, I loved being able to go to people's houses for celebrations and go to weddings, you know, and just see how, how culture unfolds so differently, but in how much reverence they have for people. But you say that your relationship with the word immigrant and what it means has changed since you went to the to the UAE? Absolutely. I mean, and my whole time in the Middle East, I was the immigrant. Um, <laughs> yet I had, you know, unfortunately, the way it works, there's a hierarchy to that immigration. Um and I had that opportunity to see the world from an outsider coming in mm-hmm. um, and how much pride mm-hmm. as, as immigrants, working immigrants, we had to the countries that support us, um, which is what I can see happening here when I've, you know, seen Toronto news or North American news. People who move into a new country to start their life really invest everything they have to make that life better, but it also then invests in the country they work with. Um, and they have that pride and sense of, of ownership to do something better with it. So, so beautiful to make a reminder because it's, you know, now that I'm a citizen in the United States, um, there's always such a conflict over the topic of immigration and who has the right to be here and, and who really loves the country. So I'm looking at it from the other side of someone who has made the effort to come to the country and what is their commitment. I, I want to correct something. I think I, I misstated something when I said uh, when you moved to the UAE, say, am I correct? Kuwait is not part of the UAE, United Arab Emirates? No. So it's like, it is part of the Gulf region. Um, however, it's a separate country that's about an hour flight between. So, so the UAE is uh, similar to how I describe Canada with the provinces. So there's seven emirates that are um, combined under one leadership, uh, which is why it's called the United Arab Emirates. Um, okay, testing your, your memory. Would you name all the emirates? I can. 
Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's only because it's still fresh in my mind because I've seen all of them. Um, but, but do I win a prize if I do it? Absolutely. Going to send you some camel's milk. Yeah. Wait, you should put this out to your listeners to see if they can name all seven of them without looking at Okay. Well, we could make that a challenge and say, yeah, they can respond in the comments. And uh, I'll have you choose a winner. You be the judge. Sure. The, the uh, randomly chosen winner will receive a signed copy of Who Am I Now Feminine yep. from the author. What? I don't even have that. So I am in crap. That's right. You were out of the country and it wasn't available on Amazon there yet. So let's rectify that. Okay, well, this um, is just just the tip of all of the things that I want to ask you and and to thank you for sharing so generously with my listeners, because I believe, like you and you've experienced and lived it, that the more that we know about each other and other cultures and um, how we can relate to the female population in other areas is, gives us such a tremendous advantage. And uh, I think it's us girls in the world that are going to make it a better place to live. So, parting questions. For one, what is something that you really missed from Canada when you touched down? Now in the Gulf region. So I miss ketchup flavored potato chips because that is not something in the Middle East. They enjoy spicy uh, flavors instead. So that was the first purchases I made and I regretted it the next day. <laughs> All right. So ketchup potato chips. Did you get, did she went back to Toronto? I have, yes. Good. Good. Uh, anything else that you remember now really missing? Um, well, my time in Kuwait was different because obviously there's less on the offer there, whereas in UAE, I have, you know, I could have pork if I wanted it. Yeah. Um, but that is definitely your home cooking. I will say I missed that the most. Oh, nice. That and maybe bacon. <laughs> well, no, I could eat. I could have bacon, let me say that. I could have it, but I often felt guilty because I knew my friends were not eating it. So I waited until I got here to have it. All right. And that's respectful. That was very kind of you. And what would you have brought back from Kuwait to Toronto with you if you had no luggage restrictions? Oh, uh, that's a good one. I don't know, um, because I found that in my time there, everything I had was a, more of a memory. So I think if I, when coming back, luggage wasn't a restriction, I would have brought several of my friends with me because that's what I miss now. Nice. You know, here, the distance is there. Um, I don't think they'd like being smuggled in a suitcase, but no. she loved me. And I had to travel with Coco, your cat, in the special adventure. 
Oh, my goodness. That's a whole other segment, too, traveling with pets. Okay. We'll hold you to that because I think, you, I think there's a lot of people would appreciate your insight and your experience on being an expat and a woman traveling with her cat. Let's wrap this segment now and come back. And in the next segment, I'd like to talk more about the misconceptions that we have um, from different parts of the world and your experience of, let's say, with fashion and accommodation and travel within the region. Oh, and maybe outside the region. Because there's a couple of exotic destinations we can reveal. So thank you. Stay tuned, everybody, for the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope our conversation added value to your day and expanded your vision for your legacy and impact. Please join me in increasing my impact and expanding my reach to even more people by sharing this episode on social media with friends and leaving a review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or channel of choice. To catch all the latest from me, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Connect with me and others in our community Facebook group, The Lift As You Climb Movement, where you can engage, be inspired by, and grow with a tribe of like-minded people. As I evolve as a podcaster and spokeswoman for collaboration and economic empowerment, your input and feedback are especially important to me. I welcome your suggestions and questions to hello at theencorecatalyst.com. Until we meet again, please remember your success may be the foundation for someone else's. Together, we can raise success ladders around the world.